Warning. The program you're about to hear contains highly offensive and indecent material. Ryan, pull down your pants. <laughs> JB, you start sucking. The host, a comedian of questionable talent, speaks incessantly on topics of a sexual and scatological nature. I will fuck you, but I will not eat you. I want that fucking dick down my throat while I'm dicking him down. Okay. I hope my mother's listening. Your ass became a rosebud? Yeah, that's because I got dicked down real good. <laughs> he asks questions of his celebrity guests that are highly inappropriate and rude. Which of you has a bigger penis? Oh, that's a good one. That's a fun good one. Going down on the clitoris? Oh, yes. Oh, I like Absolutely. where you're going with yep. this. For some reason, the word strap-on just comes right out of my mouth, Bianca. Yeah, you said come and strap-on at the same time. Mm-hmm. And he cannot stop talking about his buttocks. I think your butt is telling you, no mas, por favor. <laughs> this is the Adam Sank Show. If it's in my hand, I'm going to suck it. Powered by DNR Studios. And now... The one, the only... <sighs> Welcome, everyone. Welcome to the Adam Sank Show. We were supposed to be live, uh, and we apologize to anyone who tuned in at 11 o'clock Eastern Time today, which is Saturday, November 17th. We are experiencing technical difficulties. Um, this has actually never happened before. Uh, the internet at DNR Studios just went down for no reason. It's nobody's fault. Uh, poor JB is scrambling, trying to uh, put this show together with uh, two paper clips and a piece of string. Um, we are recording it, and we will. I will personally put it on iTunes as soon as I get back from the studio in a couple hours. Um, but uh, but I apologize to anyone who tuned in live. Obviously, don't call if you're listening to this. But uh, please leave your ratings and reviews on iTunes, and don't mention this episode. Um, email me at adam at adamsank.com. And just a reminder to anyone who's uh, in the New York area or will be in the next couple weeks. My last ever comedy show is happening November 28th and 29th at the historic Stonewall Inn right here in New York City. Go to adamsank.com for information and tickets. And please, for God's sake, like the Adam Sank Show Facebook page. What do I have to do? Um, Our guest today, uh, you guys, is Daniel Villarreal. He's a journalist out of the Pacific Northwest who recently wrote a fascinating and highly disturbing article about a gay Seattle man who died after receiving silicone injections into his scrotum. The article touches on a number of much larger issues, though, including body dysmorphia and control and abuse uh, within the BDSM community. I don't want to really want to say too much about it because Daniel will do a much better job of telling the story than I can. But I found it um, really fascinating and disturbing and kind of important. So we'll talk. We'll talk to Daniel later in this hour. But first, I want to introduce my guest co-host today, and he's a favorite here at The Ask. The listeners love him. We love him. He hasn't been here in many months. Please welcome back Jay. Hey, hey. Thanks everyone's favorite trans man. Hey, thanks. You know, Jay, up until now, I always refer to you as everyone's favorite trans sex worker, but yeah. I don't even think you're a sex worker anymore. So, I What's mean, I'm, I'm sort of like um, trying to uh, retire, but it's become this long, like protracted, like process because kind of like my year long comedy retirement. <laughs> um, <clears throat> I don't, I don't, uh, I don't advertise anymore, mm-hmm. but I've got some, um, clients who have hung on and I do know someone else who does some sex work and they feature me on their page with my permission. So occasionally we get booked together. <laughs> booked. I yeah. love that. <laughs> but you're, you're winding down and you, uh, since the last time you were on, you've actually secured, uh, uh, legal employment, legal wage earning work. Yeah, we won't say where, but it's a fabulous uh, organization, it and is. I'm I'm thrilled to see you there. Yeah, thank you. I, I'm really happy there too. Thank you very much. Uh, fabulous. Okay, so JB just handed me a note. I'm sorry. So, um, one of the other things that's happened since we uh, were last, we haven't been live since October, because there was a number of weeks where we had a pre-recorded episode. So we have to talk about the elections. Yeah, I don't think you're as political as I am. No, but I'm not not political. I, when I'm not on this show, it's like my number one thing. It's like yeah. I'm obsessed with politics and sex, <laughs> not necessarily in that order. So I was I was really a wreck before this uh, election that we just had, this midterm election. Yeah. And it was a weird night to watch the results come in because it was the opposite of 2016. 2016, we started watching the election. We were like, this is going to be great. Hillary's going to be the first woman president. Fuck Trump. We never have to hear from him again. Yeah. And then as the night wore on... We got more and more anxious until finally it was like the worst thing ever has happened. Oh, yeah. I was morose. It wrecked me. Yeah. So this time it was the opposite because the early returns were kind of like, oh, 
this blue wave that we were expecting hasn't really materialized. Like all of the journalists on TV were kind of um, poo-pooing the blue wave and saying like, oh, well, the Virginia suburbs, uh, the Democrats aren't seeing the kind of gains we expected and this is not going to be 10%. Yeah. The fact that we now have double digits in Congress is pretty fucking great. Yeah, if you had told me that this would happen when I was a little kid, I wouldn't have believed you. This is amazing. It's fabulous. Jared Polis is the, is the Colorado governor who becomes the first gay man to be elected governor. Um, here are uh, some other incredible uh, wins. Um, I mentioned Tammy Baldwin and Kirsten Cinema. The other eight LGBTQ people who were elected to serve in the House include Sharice Davids, who also makes history as uh, the first Native American to be yeah. elected to Congress. Chris Pappas of New Hampshire, Sean Patrick Maloney of New York. Katie Hill and Mark Takano of California, David Ciccolini of Rhode Island, Mark Pokin of Wisconsin, and Angie Craig of Minnesota, who is not only a lesbian, but also the first gay married woman in Congress and the first gay mother. How about that? Come on. That's great. It's so fucking exciting. So congratulations to... To us, congratulations to the voters, um, and, uh, and, and really, when you look at what's happened on the state level, so many new Democratic governors, uh, governorships were flipped, uh, de Republican to Democrat, and so many House legislatures were flipped, and the, people don't pay attention to those races, but they're huge, because when your state is controlled by one party, that party has a much better chance of voting uh, for the whoever that is in power I'm not explaining this well. Like, let's say uh, the Democrats have now won control of Michigan again. Okay. This makes Michigan far more likely to vote for a Democratic presidential candidate in 2020. Oh, okay. And it also helps them continue to win House races and Senate races because what happens is the state legislature is the one that decides where the voting districts are. They, they redistrict every two years. And they can gerrymander it to to make it more favorable to their party. The Republicans are great at this. They gerrymander the fuck out of every map. And that's why they keep winning in states that have a majority of Democrats. Yeah. So now that Democrats have more control of these state legislatures, we're going to see more Democratic victories. And I say hurrah. <laughs> in addition, Jay, uh, because Democrats won so many of these um, how these legislature seats, Four states could soon ban conversion therapy. Four states that haven't already done so. Right. What, do you know what the number is right now? I think yes. It's like 41 states or something like that. It was where it's legal. Well, that... it's a little less than that. Okay. 14 U.S. states have legal bans against so-called ex-gay or conversion therapy. Oh, it's better than I thought it was, but it's still not great. Still, okay. the majority of the country allows yeah. it. Yeah. Um, and, and even in those 14 states, it goes on. It's yeah. just in secret. Yeah. Uh, CBS Sunday Morning had a fabulous segment about this last week where they really went in depth um, about the horrors of conversion therapy. And there's a new movie out right now called um, Boy, Erased. Boy Erased, yeah. which deals with this topic. So it's very much in the news right now. Um, but because Democrats won, uh, like, for instance, in New York, Democrats won 35 of the state's 63 Senate seats. So now they're they're in control of it. Um, so New York will now... Uh, ban conversion therapy. The same thing in Maine, the same thing in uh, Massachusetts. So again, these victories are really, really important for our community. Turning to a much lighter topic, yes. the cast of RuPaul's Drag Race All-Stars 4 has been revealed. Yes. Are you, do you watch the show? Are you Absolutely, a fan? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, I'm not, I'm not, um, I'm not like Ryan. Well, speaking of Ryan, yes. I, of course, cannot do this story without him because he is our RuPaul's... Oh, was he supposed to call us? I thought we were going to call him. That's okay, baby. No, no, that's right. I'll have him call in right now. It's fine. You, you keep doing what you're doing. Uh, talk about the show, Jay, while I do this. Well, um, I, I, so I do another podcast, and we discuss, on that podcast, we discussed... Um, the reveal of the of the queens for the new season, um, an all-star season, and we were trying to figure out who the filler queens are. So do you have any opinions about that? You know, I have so few opinions about this because I really <laughs> I'm only a casual fan of the okay. show. Um, while we're waiting for Ryan to call in, I can tell you that here are the here's the cast list. You have Monet Exchange, yeah. Latrice Royale, yeah. who I've always loved. Icon. Trinity Taylor, Farrah Moan. Yeah. I would say she's probably a filler, yeah, she's yes. Not my favorite either. Valentina. Uh -huh. Monique Hart, 
Jasmine Masters, Naomi Smalls, Gia Gunn, and Manila Luzon. Yep. Um, I mean, the, the ones that stand out to me from this list as, as being like the strongest competitors are Latrice. Agree. Valentina. Uh. Um, and maybe Monet. Yes. Love her. Maybe the phones aren't working. Is that possible, JB? <laughs> oh, this show makes me want to kill myself sometimes. You know, I was just really happy when they announced the queens who would be on uh, All Stars 4 that um, there were so many queens of color. That's fantastic. No, it is fantastic. Yeah. I think that's one of the, um, the best things about RuPaul's Drag Race is the representation that they show yeah. um, of communities of color, of different genders. You've had several uh, trans performers. Yep on the show and I think because that's important to RuPaul we see that on the show definitely I think it's done done um, a tremendous amount of good so I don't really know what to talk about now until we get uh, Ryan on the phone I hate to move into a totally different topic well, I can tell you that um, during this long process of trying to retire from sex work that I recently got together with an old client who I haven't seen in a while who really, I, I think he parties before he comes over because he's always into like some twisted hardcore scene that seems frantic. Oh, the phone's ringing. Oh, yay. Hooray. I, anyway, he asked me to pull out his prolapse. Just wanted to say that. Oh, my God. <laughs> this is why we have Jay co-host the show so he can tell us stories like that. Pull out his prolapse? Yeah, he really wanted it. And I was like, no. As in like, is that like a rosebud? Yeah, it, it, your whole like rectum falls out. Okay. Uh, Ryan, are you there with us? I'm here. Hello. Oh, my God. I'm so happy. I apologize for all the technical difficulties. Can you just turn him oh up a God. little bit, JB? Can you hear me? Uh, yeah, but you're not very loud. Okay. I'm on my, my headphones. You're perfect now. All right. So, so quickly, because we're so behind, tell us about uh, your reaction to, to the cast of RuPaul's All-Stars 4. Yes, yes. Well, I will always be excited for any season of RuPaul's Drag Race. So I'm going to go up and say that right away. However, I would say that three of these queens would actually be considered all-stars to me. And the rest of them are probably like fan favorites that had like a great catchphrase. And, you know, so tell us who your, your three are. So, so the three, so we have two returning all-stars, uh, Latrice Royale and Manila Luzon, who competed as Latrilla on the first season of all-stars, which is, notoriously one of the worst seasons of Drag Race. They're coming back for a second shot at the crown. And um, I'm, you know, I'm not, I love Latrice. Manila doesn't do much for me, but I would say if anyone deserves to be in the Drag Race Hall of Fame, it's one of them. Ryan, is an ambulance coming to pick you up? There's (laughs) tremendous sirens in the background. Yes, I am coming to you live from the streets of New York. I am here on the Avenue of Americas. I do apologize. Uh, we it's wanted we, like right behind me. We wanted Ryan in of studio, course. but he has so many commitments right now. Um, so I am. Yes. Who would you I'm describe? To... Who would you describe as the filler cast members? The people who really have no business being there whatsoever. Well, I would say um, Pheromone. That's what I said. Yep. Yeah. Pheromone is definitely a filler queen for me. Um, Gia Gunn, who is hilarious and had some really great. Uh, catchphrases um she would be a filler queen monique hart who just competed on season 10 and not so successfully she's a filler queen for me i agree there are queens like uh trinity taylor who uh made it to the top four and she was great and i was actually rooting for her to win so i'm excited to see her of course valentina returning valentina you're beautiful you're a model. You look like Linda Evangelista. Um, she, there's, there's some tea that has been um, circulating, being shared, circulating around the internet, around the fandom about um, a moment with her and RuPaul. So I'm, I'm very excited to see how that turns out. Can't wait to see how this turns out. Um, exactly. If you had to, uh, I know that there's, you know, it's really anyone's race at this point, but if you had to pick one queen that you think is going to win the whole thing at this point, who would it be? I would say based on performance on their season and just like who I think is, is the best queen, um, I would say Latrice. I would say, uh, I hope so. She deserves it. She deserves the crown. We need a person of color 
in the Drag Race Hall of Fame. Yes. Uh, we need a we need a big girl. Yes. She's large and in charge. Uh, and chunky, yeah, but I, not funky. Yes, exactly. Or chunky but um, funky. What I can't remember her, her one of her tagline. Yeah, something like that. Um, but yeah, and also I should say that today is RuPaul's birthday. Oh. So happy ha- birthday, Mama Ru. Happy birthday, RuPaul. All right, Brian. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm really excited. Well, thank you so much. I'm sorry we don't have more time with you, but today has been an absolute shit show. The internet went down. Right. We couldn't be live. Are we live now, JB? Live now. People are actually hearing us. Yes. Oh, I hope Charles from Cornhole enjoyed the first Hi. 20 minutes of silence. <laughs> Hello, everyone. Ryan, uh, right, we well, miss you. We love you. Uh, you'll be love back you. co-hosting with us on December 15th, yes? Yes, I will. All right, I look forward to seeing you uh, in the studio then and also every day in my life. <laughs> I just want to say, Charles from Cornhole really came through. He called. He was like, I don't hear anything. I was like, thank you for letting me know. And you're appreciated because he... That means he took your message very seriously. No, I know. He's I a, appreciate him He's a that. very loyal listener. Yes, he is. But thank you, Charles. We love you. Um, I'm going to move on now to this uh, identical twin story, uh, JB, and you have the sound, right? Yes. So this is a story that uh, actually came out a few weeks ago, but it really struck me as kind of amazing, and I thought you in particular would enjoy it, Jay. Uh, Jack and Jace Grafe are identical twins. They're correctional officers from Monroe, Georgia, and they both transitioned uh they're both they're both trans men um they began their physical transition at the age of 21 after years of feeling like they were in prison Mm -hmm. in their own bodies they confided to each other at age 15 that they didn't feel as though they were the gender assigned to them at birth um one of them told a, a news outlet the fact that that they were identical twins helped him a lot uh i think we have some sound from jace one of the two twins from a lot of really dark and depressing moments. Um, I Sometimes I wonder if if he wasn't here, if he didn't exist, or I felt this by myself, if I wouldn't have had suicidal thoughts. Now, I'm not saying I, I would have, but it's very possible, you know, because I would have been most definitely alone. In high school... P.S. They're both really hot. Yes, they are. <laughs> How great would it have been if you had grown up with an identical twin who was also trans? I think it would have been really awesome. I don't know if I've ever told you this, but I... You have an identical twin. No, no, but I'm, I'm friends with a trans guy who is an identical triplet, and they are all trans men. Why isn't there a story about them? Uh, Fuck I, these twins. Right Triplets are way more too. interesting. I in Brooklyn. I don't have to have them on. Yeah. But I always thought, even just being like a regular cisgender gay guy... Yeah. That it would be so fun to have an identical twin. I've yeah. always wanted one. A, I'm a huge narcissist. <laughs> B, I just feel like to always have like a constant companion who feels the exact same as you do and can understand you and is going through the same thing. Like, yeah. I, I'm just really jealous of them. Yeah, yeah. Especially when if there's a struggle that they have to go through, like these two guys did. It's uh, I would imagine um, tremendously supportive. I also love that they're correction officers. I mean, that is just like a, like a hot porn in the making. Right? Yeah. There's, I think that's, that'll be their next job, <laughs> perhaps. <laughs> we'll see what happens. Um, speaking of porn, so we've been talking on the show the last few weeks about Chris Pine and how he has this full frontal nude scene in a Netflix series called Outlaw King. And everyone's been um, <clears throat> highly anticipating this, most of all me. And, you know, he's been discussing his penis at all of these different film festivals and in interviews. He so, compared it to, uh, what's that guy's name? He, co- he compared it to Michael Magneto. Fassbender. Yes, Magneto. Now, let me just say, I saw it, and I am disappointed. In I, the penis? Yeah, well, yes. I'm not disappointed in the penis. The penis looks perfectly nice. It's, mm-hmm. you know, it's flaccid, so you can't really tell that much. But it looks like a lovely penis. But when I tell you that it is like a split second from a distance dripping with water like he's emerging from a from like a lagoon okay and you know when you pop out of the water there's all this water splashing off you and it kind of covers you and mm-hmm. so you really don't see much oh. and the 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 hoopla around this was so great and then when i actually saw it it was like this <laughs> that was my reaction and let me just say, no, it is not as big as Michael Fassbender's. Chris Pine is dreaming yeah, if he thinks that. All that talk, 
all that hot shit talk for no reason. Keep your little dick, keep your little dick self whole. <laughs> Shade. Anyway, so that's that. Um, sorry, Chris Pine, but uh, you are not the biggest winner, <laughs> or something like that. <laughs> I don't know what I'm saying at this point. I'm so fucked up. Oh, can I just say something really quickly? This is not on the rundown, but I wanted to mention a um, a very sad. Uh, story, which is that Catherine McGregor, who played meddlesome Harriet Olsen on Little House on the Prairie, has died at the age of 93. And I just wanted to um, acknowledge that because, first of all, I'm the world's biggest Little House on the Prairie fan. Is that true? I, oh, I'm a huge prairie fairy. And just a few weeks ago, we had Alison Arngrim on the show. Um, Alison, of course, played the, the legendary character Nellie Olsen. And Catherine McGregor played her mother, and the two of them, you know, were such close friends. Uh, it had like 11 years of, of uh, doing the show together, and they were almost always uh, in the same scenes. So, um, you know, Catherine had a wonderful long life. She, as I said, she was 93. Um, she was living in an actor's retirement home out in California. And um, I just wanted to say rest in peace, and we love you, and um, I'm sorry for Allison. If she's listening, JB, what's going on? Huh? What? Give me an update. You just oh, ran out of here, like because we had okay. So we had two phone calls. One was from Charles, very nice, and then uh, again, me and Romaine still troubleshooting things. She's like, "I'm gonna call the phones to make sure they're okay." I'm like, "Don't call the phones. It's fine. <laughs> We're live, bitch." No, thank you, Romaine. We appreciate any uh, uh, help that you're uh, giving us right now. And JB is being incredible. He deserves a Pulitzer Prize for this episode of the S. Okay. Moving on, Jay, here's another story that I think you can relate to. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Frankie Grande is in a thruple. Oh, yeah. And he wants the world word, to know. Yes, yes, you, yes, yes. Now, you were in a thruple for many years. I think now it's more of a quadrangle. It is. There are four, there are four of us who live together. That's right. Remind people what that situation is, um, how that works. Okay, so the original couple, they've been together for 11 years. They're legally married, um, and then they're actors. So they were in my hometown of Philadelphia, and one of them posted a filthy, dirty Craigslist ad in the Men for Men like, sex se section, and I responded to it. We were uh, fuck buddies, and then it turned into a relationship and with, with m me, with both of them. I've been with them for just over six years, and about three years ago, we picked up a fourth. And so, but the four of you, I mean, one of the common misconceptions, I think, about these polyamorous relationships is it's not that the four of you all have sex together. No. In your case, it's really more like there's three, there's three couples, right? So there's the original couple, then right. there's you and one of those husbands, mm -hmm. and then the other husband and his boyfriend. That's right. And you guys kind of keep that separate. We very much so. So um, my primary partner's husband is more of a companion to me. We're not, I mean, it's more than a friendship. I love him deeply, deeply, deeply. But um, he's a partner, but not a sexual partner. He's a yeah, 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 yeah. And then his partner, the new guy who's only been with us for three years, is really kind of like a sister wife to me and my primary. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's the best way to put it. I love that sister wife when you're all men. Yeah. Um, well, Frankie Grande, who I'm not too familiar with, but apparently he's the brother of Ariana Grande. He's a huge YouTube star. He's yeah. like one of these uh, viral. I don't know him. Real gay. I he's, <laughs> he's been on RuPaul's Drag Race as yeah. a guest. He's super gay. Um, and he also, I guess, was on Big Brother. Um, but he's in a thruple. He, he posted a picture and said, these are my boyfriends. Uh, Daniel Sonison, who's an attorney, and Mike Pofus, who's a doctor. He got a doctor and a lawyer. It's like a power triad. Bitch, how about you give me one of those? I have nothing. <laughs> I have a dog. I'm um, sorry, what does she do? Frankie is an internet personality. Who's, he, so you make no money. But no, 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 no. no JB. He's got like millions oh. of followers. Oh, yeah. He's, yeah, yeah, he's yeah. sponsored. He's got the whole thing. Plus, he's, he's Ariana's brother. Yeah. So he I doesn't... don't like her because she's Ariana's brother. I already have a problem with Ariana's brother. Like... <laughs> Can you swallow your bagel before you I'm weigh sorry. in on this, please? <laughs> I know you're stress eating. It's been a stressful hour. Uh, anyway, um, we wish Frankie and his doctor lawyer couple uh, thruple well. Um, asked to name his favorite part of the relationship, Frankie responded, Dick. <laughs> At least he's being honest. Is that true? He did say that. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. That's not a joke. Um, and speaking of people who are famous for no reason, 
A recent contestant on The Voice has come out about his past work in the gay adult film industry. Okay. His name is Tyshawn Colquitt. He's a 23-year-old <laughs> singer who appeared on the most recent season of NBC's reality singing competition, The Voice. And he said he had previously performed in gay porn to help make ends meet. I like this sound so much. He said, quote, I did it when I was going through a rough time. He grew up as the oldest in a family of 12 children. He got a presidential scholarship to go to college, but he didn't have any money for living expenses, so uh, he couldn't go to college. He appeared in several group sex scenes, but has since called his participation in porn a huge mistake and, quote, not a part of my lifestyle that I'm comfortable with. He eventually did graduate from the School of Creative and Performing Arts in Cincinnati. I bet. Um, during his With stint, top honors. Top <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, I got to get that. This rim shot has to be in a better place. Thank you. Um, he now works as a music producer and a vocal coach. Um, I, listen. I've said it before and I'll say it again. I have no problem with anyone who works in porn. I have no problem with anyone who works in the sex industry. Uh, as long as you're doing everything you're doing with consensual adults and no one's forcing you to do it, yep. more power to you. Yeah. What's the harm? Yeah, absolutely. I agree with you. But also, um, I, I'm kind of like over this, like people who have done sex work or porn or both or whatever, who then like go through this you whole- You have to do a mea culpa. Th yeah, yeah. I'm really over it. I agree. I, I think, um, but you know, The Voice is such like a wholesome show. You know, look who the judges are. It's like Blake, what's his face, the country star. Yeah. And you've got, um, they, I think he almost has to if he wants to continue having a legitimate career. But I also like that he just owned up to it. Yeah. You know, and his story is very inspiring. Like, he, he came from nothing. He needed the money. He got the money. He yeah. went to college. He got on The Voice. He's super talented. Like, to me, it's like a feel good story. Literally, <laughs> because it feels real good yeah. when you're having sex with him. Um, let's see where we are. I, I don't see. I don't even know how long we've been going because we started late, like eight minutes after the hour or something. I think it's been about thirty minutes since we've been doing the show. But let me just say to anyone listening, this podcast episode is probably going to end up being like fifty-six minutes or like a minute seven. It's not going to be normal. Yeah. length because we have no way of, of doing that unless JB edits it after the fact um, so he's left the room uh, presumably to get our guest on the show I'd love it if we had an intern here to do that I I'll ask you this in the meantime have you uh, have you done porn so no I was all set to do a uh, Buck Angel film back when I was like worked oh, right I think we talked about yeah, this once. I was um I mean it was all set to go and I as it turned out I even knew the woman who's gonna who was gonna be the videographer so that was really putting my mind at ease but at the time I worked for um well it doesn't matter <laughs> but I worked somewhere where it most definitely was going to be found out and I didn't care about that but I was pretty sure that they would terminate my employment so at the last minute, I backed out, and that I regret. My thing with porn is that it doesn't pay that well. You know, like, I'm fine with being on video fucking forever. Like, as I said, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I'm, my parents wouldn't want to see it or know about it. But, like, you'd have to pay me a lot of money, though. Yeah. And I feel like most porn stars, if they are stars, they really only make their money from escorting. Yeah. And from the videos they do, they get, like, what, like a thousand bucks a scene, maybe? Yeah. Tops? Yeah. I'm... I'm I feel like the only reason I would do porn is because I'm lacking in sex in my life. And that's exactly. why I would do porn. And plus, these are outrageously hot guys. Some probably straight, which I would probably wouldn't have sex with because they're straight. Well, or... you could volunteer to be a fluffer. Oh, that's a thing. Then you're not even on camera. And you get to suck all the dick you want. And you get, uh, you know, I don't know if they pay you for that. You get paid to oh, be a so fluffer. Oh, so I'm going to quit the I'm saying show. I'll be a fluffer. <laughs> <laughs> There's a plan. All right, you guys, it's time for our guest segment. Um, and I mentioned this at the top of the hour. It's a story that I became aware of actually through Ryan Frostegg. A few weeks ago, he, he emailed me some um, internet chatter that he had come across about this very weird situation out of Seattle. On October 15th, a 28-year-old gay man known as Jack Chapman died under mysterious circumstances. Jack, who was known as Tank, was an Australian man living in Seattle. And his death certificate ultimately showed that he died of silicone embolism syndrome, 
the result of having had silicone injections into his scrotum. Suspicions surrounding his death have since fallen on a man known to millions of people on social media as Noodles and Beef. Noodles and Beef and Tank had been involved in a BDSM relationship for some time, and it turns out that Tank is not the first guy to have died this way after being involved in a relationship with Noodles and Beef. And then on November 5th, Seattle's alternative newspaper, The Stranger, published an in-depth investigation of the case by a journalist named Daniel Villarreal. So joining us now on the phone from Portland, Oregon, to shed light on this complicated and disturbing story is Daniel Villarreal. Daniel, welcome to The Ass. Hey, thank you so much. Um, I Oh, there's the applause. The studio audience is very excited that you're here. Yay. Um, Daniel, I want to get into the specifics of Tank's death and his relationship with noodles and beef. But first, I feel like this story raises a lot of issues around body image and uh, control issues in the queer BDSM community. Can you speak to the macro issues before we get into what happened to Tank? Uh, sure. You know, I mean, we know that body dysmorphic disorder um, occurs in larger numbers in the gay community. I think that the uh, National Eating Disorders Association says that 42% of men who have eating disorders identify as gay. Um, and then we also know that Dylan himself uh, suffered from body dysmorphia, a form known as bigorexia. D- Dylan, Dylan, false. Dylan is noodles and beef, correct? Oh, yes. Dylan is noodles and beef. Yeah. Keep going. Um, and so, uh, you know... In, in this case, uh, you know, it looks like body modification, uh, body dysmorphia played a role in uh, in the silicone injections, but but it's a it's a type of fetished form of body modification. It's a little bit different from just looking at your body and liking what you see and wanting to go to the gym or wanting to go get a piercing or you know a breast augmentation or something. This was a uh, form of body modification banned by the FDA because of its instability and its uh, lethality. And, uh, you know, we can see the results of it uh, right here, you know, but, but it's important just to keep in mind that the body dysmorphia we're talking about um, that Dylan noodles and beef had uh, and that tank might've had um, isn't necessarily always mixed up with people who want to do body modification. They can be two separate issues. Right. And then there are also issues I feel like that this article touches on in terms of um, within the BDSM community, you have fantasy, you have role play about one person sort of owning another person or being in in control of another person. And yet that sometimes can cross a line and become an actual uh, abusive relationship. Yeah, you know, so I think when discussing this, it's important not to pathologize all dumb sub-relationships. I think people look at BDSM relationships and think that maybe there's a higher inclination towards abuse or abusive manipulation control. Um, just because the sexuality, the kink, and the power dynamics are a lot more on the surface. But we see these sorts of abusive relationship dynamics in any community, whether you're talking about conservative Christians, progressive liberals, you name it. This sort of dynamic exists everywhere. There are definitely risks involved with people who want to get into submissive dominant relationships. Uh, In fact, the ABC podcast, uh, The Hookup, which an Australian broadcasting company podcast, recently tackled this very issue. And the kink expert they had on there, Alina DVA, said that sometimes when people enter these relationships, they throw their boundaries out the window. Like they'll think that they can no longer say no, because if they say no, then their dom will reject them. Um, And, you know, she advised that people shouldn't be using a different filter than they normally would uh, in these sorts of relationships. It's important for them to maintain boundaries around work and money and their body, their personal relationships. Um, and that a lot of people end up making, moving too quickly into these relationships, you know, either accepting a caller or pledging their submission to a dominant person. She compared that to accepting a marriage proposal or accepting an engagement ring just after meeting someone. You wouldn't do that in one case. So she said, don't make the mistake of doing the other. But, but in the end, I think for people who are interested in these relationships, it's really important for them and their partners to understand why they're interested in their relationships. There's probably a million different reasons that a person would want to enter these relationships. And the better they understand those reasons, the less likely they are to be taken advantage by someone who will use those, uh, those reasons against them. Right. I mean, I, listen, as a, as a gay man who's 
mostly vanilla, but can be a little kinky. I I understand the fantasy of control and domination and and being dominant and being submissive. Like that's I I find that to be a very exciting fantasy. Um, at the same time, when I read a story like this, I'm I'm horrified and I think like oh, God, I would never want anyone to have this kind of control over me. Can we talk um, about what you uncovered in terms of the relationship between Jack, a.k.a. Tank, and Dylan, a.k.a. Noodles and Beef? What actually transpired as far as, as you were able to tell? Well, you know, we know that their relationship was really rocky. And uh, around 2012, Tank published a relationship contract uh, that, that stated that Dylan had complete control over his body uh, that Dil- that Tank wasn't allowed to have friends or his own money, and that he wasn't allowed to doubt any of Dylan's commands. Um, we also know that Tank told his friends that he felt emotionally manipulated by Dylan, and that uh, Dylan would often mention Tank's lack of trustworthiness to his 200,000 news- newsletter subscribers. Um, let, let, I'm sorry to I- interrupt you. Let's just uh, explain that. So, so Noodles and Beef had this newsletter... Yeah, so, so he was a longtime vlogger who had lived in San Francisco, now lives in Seattle. His initial blog, uh, noodlesandbeef.com, had about 2 million readers. Uh, eventually, he discontinued that as he said he started to get death threats and kind of public hate. And so he moved to a newsletter format, which had uh, at its height 200,000 subscribers. He also had an Instagram account that had about 64,000 followers on it. So... You know, a lot of people know who Noodles and Beef is. They know who Dylan Hepperdipin is. And, you know, he had a pretty active social following. So so that's what I mean when he's mentioning the lack of J- Jack's trustworthiness to his newsletter subscribers. Thanks for explaining that. So back to um, to how these two guys got together and what happened. Yeah, so they, they met uh, sometime when Chapman was still living in Australia. Uh, Chapman flew out to San Francisco to begin, uh, you know, kind of courting Dylan. Uh, shortly afterwards, you know, uh, Dylan sent him a caller uh, to basically say, hey, you're you're now in my subservience, and it's sort of a trial period. We had the contract released that had all the restrictions that I just talked about. And even though they had a very rocky public re- uh, relationship together, um, we know that at in July 2017, Tank tried to leave Dylan, only to have Dylan file a small claims court lawsuit suing Tank for back-owed rent. Um, Dylan apparently dropped this lawsuit when Tank moved back in with him. And around that same time, Tank also cut off contact with most of his friends on social media. 18 months later, Tank was dead. Um, uh, immediately after Tank died, Dylan lied to people on social media saying that Tank was still alive. Now, he's since apologized for that, saying that it happened in grief. Um, but after he died, Tank and Dylan's partner, Chuck Osborne, because they're a member of this polyamorous Pup family that has about five members, and Osborne is one of the members. Uh, Osborne said on social media that Tank had died of a, quote, previously undiagnosed lung disailment. And Dylan has since said that they said that because they didn't have the death certificate listing the official cause of death as a silicone related embolism. Um, but since then, you know, Dylan's been named in connection to the September 27, 2017 death of a man named Peter Dovak, who died in exactly the same way as Tank did. Um, Novak's surviving boyfriend of 12 years, a guy named Robert Waltman, said that Dylan told Dovak where to get a silicone injection. And we know that Dylan Tank and one of Dylan's other pups, a guy named Pup Angus, have all gotten those uh, genital silicone injections. So just to be clear, it sounds like the story is that these guys had a specific fetish, all of these guys Mm -hmm. who are involved in in Dylan's, what did you call it, a, a pup a polyamorous muscle pup pack, but muscle pup pack, um, and and they in that they all were really interested in in having oversized balls and and in being with other guys who had oversized balls. I'm not really familiar with this fetish. What's what do you think it's about? Yeah, so part of it is mixed up in the bigorexia and body modification. Some people who want to dramatically muscle up also fetishize engorged genitals as a sign of sexual potency, you know, like the, you might imagine a a horse's cock or like a bull's balls. Uh, They think it's nice to nuzzle against it. They think it's part of the big body aesthetic and they sort of fetishize that as, you know, a sign of masculinity. And, you know, uh, some, some would look at the story and say, well, these two guys who, who died, it's tragic, but they, they did this to themselves, right? They voluntarily got themselves shot up, 
um, presumably by by someone who was not a, a legitimate medical practitioner or a reputable medical practitioner. So why are we blaming Dylan? What does Dylan have to do with this? Can uh, can you kind of explain that? Uh, yeah. So I think first we have the contract that is that Tank said that. Dylan had complete control over his body modification. We know that in social media posts, only oh. quit getting... Daniel, sorry, you're cutting in and out a little bit. Can you just repeat uh, the last thing you said? Yes, yeah, sorry about that. That's okay. uh, what I was saying was that we know through social media posts that Tank had said that he would continue getting body modification of these silicone injections when Dylan said that he was done with it. Um, we have increasing evidence that Dylan uh, may have helped arrange those silicone injections, uh, even though he's publicly denied it. Uh, and so, so, so that's part of it. That's part of why we're why why we're wrapped up in this. And I think it's also important that we can't necessarily separate this from the sort of abuse and manipulation that we've seen uh, that Tank Tank publicly declared. Uh, so, you know, the argument is that if Tank had not remained under Dylan's uh, control that he might not be dead today. Yeah, when I when I read your article, I came away feeling like this is a cult. Mm -hmm. This this has all the markings of a of a classic cult situation where you have one person, in this case Dylan Noodles and Beef, who's the leader and who basically calls the shots and controls these guys, controls their lives. Um, and the, for me, the scariest part was, aside from the fact that they're dead, the two the two men, is that, the, that they're cut off from the other people in their life. They're socially isolated, and so no one can reach them directly. They, everything has to go through Dylan. Um, that, to me, is, is sort of the most concerning part of the story because you have these other guys that are still part of this pup pack, right? And who knows mm. what, what they're... Um, how they're doing and what their the state of their welfare is. Yeah, you know, I, I don't know that I would use the word cult, although I have heard a lot of people say that, and it's understandable, especially when you're talking about Dylan branding some of these guys with tattoos or with his own Taurus astrological sign and the extremity of the contract that Tank released. But I do know that we definitely have evidence that it was incredibly abusive. We know that Tank told his friends that that. that Dylan was abusive. We know that former friends of Dylan's also say the same thing, having seen their, his treatment of Tank. Uh, we also know that Tank, or that Dylan was asking his 200,000 newsletter followers whether or not he should break up with Tank. He once told them that Tank had ruined his couch by shitting on it. Uh, he had published ratings of how much he trusted Tank and how secured and valued he felt by him. And on all of those ratings, Tank didn't get higher than a three. And we also know that D Dylan publicly admitted that he plan to file a small claims lawsuit against Tank only after Tank refused his olive branch. You know, now, now some people air their relationship dirty laundry on social media, but Dylan was doing this to 200,000 international members of a small subgroup in the gay community. Like, this is a very insular group who largely know each other. And so that means either Dylan was massively unaware of, you know, just how, how wrong and manipulative that was, or he was actively humiliating his pup to a much larger crowd in a way to basically, you know, keep, keep, keep control over him. Well, and, and you learned of this story. We, we all learned of this story initially from members of that community, correct? I mean, didn't this start as, as a lot of social media chatter about, you know, where's Tank, what happened to him, how did he die, and, and so forth? Daniel? Did we just lose him? Daniel? Daniel, if you can hear us, we can no longer hear you. All right, we're going to call him back. Daniel, you there? Oh, I said I just said that I'm obsessed with this story. <laughs> I know it's an amazing story, um, and uh, for those of you who haven't read the article, I, I recommend it. It's uh, on the Strangers website. Yeah, I don't know if you know this. Um, when I always refer to that my history with my partners and how my primary put that ad up on um, on Craigslist, I, it was filled with exactly 
well, not exactly, but this kind of like kink and fetish and role play. And, um, and he, we don't really play this way so much anymore, but he was my dom for the first few years. And to this day, this part, I think, you know, my, my nickname with him is puppy. Yes. I've always been his pup. And, um, and, and so I'm pretty familiar with, with these, with like these subcultures and, uh, this stinks this is not good yeah i mean i know your partner so well and uh, i know him to be an incredibly loving and sweet and kind person he's the kind of person where if you were to ever say stop or i don't want this he would absolutely respect your boundaries but how do you know when you go into one of these relationships that you're going to be with someone like that I, i so you don't you you well what i would always do is just um try to slowly get to know them and not like I've only ever been collared by one person and it was it's my primary partner and that was a long process. Daniel, are you back with us? Yes. Daniel? Yes, I am. Sorry about that. We lost you for a moment. Um you've spoken to the Seattle police uh about this situation. What if anything are are they doing um in terms of an investigation? Right now, they're not actively investigating. They continue to receive public comment from people who are interested in the case or have information about the case, but they have basically ruled the death as accidental, and they compare it to uh, when people overdose on you know, drugs. And so they say that to a degree it was self-imposed and accidental, and therefore you know, there's no real criminal investigation to be had just yet. Um, but we do also know that right now uh, Linda Chapman, Jack's mom, is looking into a couple of lawsuits against uh, Dylan. One of these lawsuits would just be a battle over a $200,000 inheritance that Tank left to Dylan in a will that he signed three weeks before he died. That money was supposed to originally go towards Tank's younger brother, who is autistic. And then uh, Linda is also considering a wrongful death lawsuit against uh, Dylan, which basically said that if, if, Jack had not returned to, so Tank had not returned to Dylan, that Tank might still be alive today, but that he's dead as a direct result of uh, Dylan's involvement in his life. Wow. And I've noticed on Twitter a number of posts with the hashtag justice for Jack. So it does seem mm-hmm. that there are um, a number of people out there who are really concerned about what happened and, and trying to get justice for him and also prevent another tragedy like this. In the meantime, uh, Dylan has completely vanished as far as his social media presence, correct? Uh, Kind of. We know that as soon as people started looking into the story, he deleted his Instagram. Uh, He he or someone in his pack, someone with control over Tank's old Tumblr, had all of that deleted. Uh, He stopped sending out his newsletter. He transformed noodles and beef into a listing of actual noodles and beef recipes and a review of a silicone injected turkey baster, presumably in an attempt to throw off search engines if they Googled his name in those terms. But he has since uh, reimagined the site as a, um, a tribute to Tank. Uh, basically, he has an FAQ on there giving his own side of the story, and then he has filled the rest of the site with positive content highlighting the beautiful and pleasant aspects of their relationship, but not mentioning any of the less pleasant things that I talked about. Wow. That's got to be incredibly painful for Tank's family to see that. You know, I I do feel sorry for uh, Linda Chapman. She is, she works as a tea lady at a retirement home. She's not super duper wealthy. She's working class. And even though she loved her son, she didn't have uh, any reading of his Tumblr. She didn't know about his silicone injections or kind of the worst parts of his relationship. And so all of this has completely taken her uh, by surprise. And now she's having to fight for, you know, the, the, the protection of her only remaining son so that he gets uh, his brother's inheritance. So sad. Were you able to make contact with Dylan during the course of your investigation? Uh, no. I, I emailed him a couple of times. I called him a handful of times. His phone is currently set to not receive any incoming calls. Uh, I did speak briefly with his husband uh, just to confirm that my contact methods were indeed correct. Uh, We do know that BuzzFeed recently published an article in which 
Dylan answered some emailed questions, but during their investigation, Dylan actually filed a restraining order against one of the journalists, a guy named Blake Montgomery. He went so far as to have Blake Montgomery arrested um, for trying to get in contact with him by standing outside of his apartment. Wow. I guess you were not quite as aggressive in your <laughs> reportage. <laughs> I live in Portland, and although I definitely commend Mr. Montgomery's efforts, uh, you know, I, I think that phone call and email were sufficient ways to give give Dylan a time to respond. Since you uh, since your article was published, Daniel, have you had people coming out of the woodwork and and saying telling you, "Listen, I have a story about Dylan," or "I know something about this." You know, I I have had a few, and it's tricky because the people that we really need to talk to are members of the silicone community. And this is a very underground community. They already get a lot of public shame and stigma for what they do, and they're afraid of being associated with anything potentially illegal. And so, you know, we have a couple of people who seem like they might be willing to talk, but who are very reluctant to admit anything on the record or with their name in publication. Uh, outside of that, there have been a group of kind of amateur sleuths who continue to publish things and, and think about, you know, to, to actively think about what's going on or what could, else could be found. But it's really important as my role as a journalist to separate fact from fiction and to only publish something that we know can be verified. Right. And I mean, I, I don't believe in shaming anyone, but I do think that um, as a journalist, you have a duty to let people know that this is a potentially dangerous and life-threatening procedure. Um, and that, you know, I, I imagine you spoke with, with legitimate medical authorities in the course of your reporting. What did they tell you about, um, about silicone injections into one's scrotum? Uh, well, you know, I talked to a psychologist who deals specifically in body modification enthusiasts, and they said that, you know, it's important to remember that body modification ranges from everything from putting on makeup, getting a piercing or a tattoo, to other types of cosmetic surgery. We've had a lot of reporting around trans women who end up getting sick or dying from sort of back alley pumpers who mm -hmm. do discount cosmetic surgery on their bodies. But we know a lot less about gay men who are doing these sorts of procedures. It seems a lot of these procedures are happening in clandestine clinics or with you know, uh, people who don't have any sort of medical training, who just have black market hookups to silicone. And Silicone itself is massively unstable. As soon as it's entered into the body, uh, it's surrounded by collagen, and so it starts to harden. Daniel, I'm sorry to cut you off. We're going to have to end it here, but um, you can read Daniel Villarreal's fascinating article on the Strangers website. How can people follow you on social media? Yeah, uh, on Twitter, I'm at Get Villarreal, and that's uh, you know two L's and two R's. You can also go to my website, uh, DanielVillarrealWrites.com. And you can easily find me on Facebook. Thank you so much for talking to us, Jay. Thank you. We will be back next week with legendary comedian John Fugelsang. You guys have a great week and a great Thanksgiving. Thank you.